Good morning. Welcome to Four Corners. So glad you're here. We're in the second week of our Upon This Rock message series, and we might as well go ahead and jump right in. There's a lot to talk about today. That phrase, Upon This Rock, comes right from God's Word. Uh, it's included for us in the book of Matthew. It's Jesus talking to one of his followers, the Apostle Peter. Uh, Peter had made this profound declaration. Jesus had asked all of his disciples this question, who, who do people say that I am? And they were naming all kinds of famous people from their history. They were talking about people of influence. And then Jesus asked them a very important question, right, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter declares, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And so Jesus, and everybody's kind of taken back by just how profound that statement is. Jesus looks at him and says, uh, Peter, flesh and blood hasn't told you that. Like that knowledge that heartfelt declaration doesn't just come from your head knowledge, but my Father in heaven has revealed the truth of that, the impact of that to you. Sounds like you've embraced it. And then he looks at Peter and he says, Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus, in that moment, was one of only two times he mentioned the word church. He, he was talking about this movement of people in the world who are going to carry the message of Jesus are literally around the globe. A message of love and hope and acceptance and freedom from sin's impact, freedom from the consequences of sin, a message of purpose, a message of meaning, a, a message that is light literally in the darkness. And Jesus said that this group of people who are entrusted with that message, as they do it, no onslaught from hell is going to be able to stop them. Think about the phrase that Jesus used for just a moment. The gates of hell won't prevail. Gates are a defensive weapon. They're part of a defensive armament. They aren't offensive in the sense of arrows or bullets, if you will. They're meant to keep the approaching army out. Jesus said that hell's gates won't be able to stop the onslaught of God's church against all of hell's destructive forces. That this church that Jesus was starting was going to be powerful. That it would be long-lasting. That it would have impact after generations. Today, we're going to look at one of the stories that Jesus told, a parable, if you will, from everyday common life, and yet he elicits some profound meaning out of everyday life occurrences. And it relates to our lives today. That's one of the powerful things about Jesus when he talked. It didn't just speak to the issues of his day, it speaks to issues of life. And even though he was telling these words for the first time about 2,000 years ago, a couple thousand miles away, in a culture very different than Western America, it still relates tangibly and directly to what, what we're going through today. So last week, we talked powerfully about the work of God in the life of the church. And today, we're going to talk about how Jesus' words from this parable speak to the life we're to live together. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not, but life can be somewhat complex. It can be a little challenging at times. Relationships can be difficult. Marriages can be challenging. Parent-child relationships, friendships are challenging. I mean, wh wherever there are people, there's a mess. We, we like to say it this way. We've kind of shortened it down. We just said it this way. Church is messy. Jesus said he'd build his church, but, 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 but one of the interesting things is when you read the rest of the New Testament, because those words from Jesus happen right in the front end of the New Testament. When you read the rest of the New Testament, it's all about this group of people called the church trying to do life and fulfill what Jesus called them to do. And they encounter all kinds of challenges. There are difficulties from the outside, 
encroaching in that seek to destroy, ultimately divide and conquer, and the message of Jesus and the mission of Jesus don't advance. Those are challenging difficulties when forces from the outside lean in. But a lot of the Bible talks about the challenges on the inside of this church that Jesus said he would start, that hell would not be able to stop. There are challenges from within life together in the life of a church that crop up, that rise up, and they, like the forces outside, threaten to stop the mission and the message of Jesus from getting out. But Jesus made it very clear. No matter what happens on the outside, no matter what happens on the inside, here's what God is committed to. Here's God's agenda. The message of Jesus given through the life of the church and the world will get out. And yes, sometimes we're going to have to fight some forces from the outside. Sometimes we're going to have to fight some forces from the inside. But at the end of the day, God is going to see to it that his message gets out. Now, here's, here's where we come in today. We, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but we as, a, as an expression of God's big C, capital C, church in the world, we are given the same commission that was given to that original group of followers to share the message and the mission of Jesus in this world. And we get that privilege. I mean, just, just think about it. God says, I love the world so much, I'm going to send my one and only son, John 3.16. My one and only son. And he'll give his life as a ransom for humanity. And through giving of his life, dying on the cross, and being resurrected from the grave, humanity can have an open-door relationship with their father, their heavenly father. So that, that's what God did in Jesus. But then he looks at everybody around him and he says, Oh, and I trust you. I'm going to invest in you. I love you. I honor you. I value you so much that not only did I send Jesus for you, but I'm going to give you the privilege of sharing this good news with the entire world. And you're to do it this way. You'll share it, first of all, with just those folks around you. The good news has impacted your life. You'll share it with just with those around you. So he's looking at his followers, and they're in the city of Jerusalem. And he says, so first of all, you're going to go to Jerusalem, right where you are. And then he says, here's the, other, here's the next step. Then you're going to go to Judea. That's the larger district. So we're like in greater Cincinnati. So that would be our Jerusalem. And then maybe Ohio would be our Judea. And, and not just there. Then you're going to go to Samaria, which is like the next area. And then you're going to go literally around the world. So this ragtag group of very imperfect, messy people who struggled with challenges from the outside and struggled with challenges from the inside, began to do exactly what Jesus asked them to do. Regardless of the challenges outside and inside, regardless of what was going on inside their lives, little by little, small step at a time, they began to share the good news of Jesus. They were compelled by it. It was like their thinking was this. The message has impacted my life, changed my life, set me free. We talked about it last week this way, that it literally has raised me from spiritual deadness to spiritual life. So I just want to tell people about that. And they told it in a lot of ways. Sometimes they used their words. And with very clear language, they spoke. People heard, believed the message of Jesus. So, sometimes they did it through their actions. God would do a miracle or they would serve the poor and those actions would communicate this message of Jesus, and people would lean in with interest, and then when they would get an open door, they would share the content of the gospel. God calls us all sinners, but that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. In fact, he's provided a way for that sin to be taken care of so that we can have a relationship with him. And oh, by the way, you don't need to carry guilt and shame anymore. 
And all that stuff of your past, all that is washed away and there's a new day. And little by little, people began to share this message. And it began to go out in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. But regularly, they had to turn back and look again in fresh ways, with fresh eyes, at the words of Jesus. At those original teachings that gave the initial impetus, the initial momentum to the movement. And it's not unusual in churches today, a couple thousand years later, to have to once again go back to the original words of Jesus, to just remember what we're all about. So I'm going to take you to a parable today that a first question may, may cause you to say, well, how is that relative and relevant to what we're saying? So, Matthew chapter 13, if you have your Bible, you don't, on the screens beside of me. Here's what our our, our parable is today. Jesus told them, that's just the group of people he was teaching, another parable. He says this, the kingdom of heaven, we're going to, guys, just leave the words up because we're going to take our time through them. And uh, honestly, I didn't print my notes uh, with that page on it. So if you've moved them, I'm I'm, I'm sunk up here. All right, so Jesus told them another parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven. Now, when he he refers to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's just a way of saying the way, uh, it's God's rule, God's reign, a kingdom rule and reign. So Uh, When God's doing his thing, when God's in charge, when God's way of life is happening, here's what it's like, right? Now, now what's interesting is, in one sense, everything is a part of the kingdom of heaven. Everything falls under the rule and reign of God, all right? But these parables are meant to help us lean into the positive side of that teaching, all right? So, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So, we're talking an agrarian society here. Everybody understood the imagery instantly. We don't. Most of us in the room aren't farmers. Maybe you have a small garden. Some of you are really into plants and horticulture and all that stuff. Maybe you get a little bit better. But bottom line is this is everyday life. Everyday life in that day and time, everyone was familiar with the language of sowing and reaping and farmers and harvest and the challenges of trying to grow a crop in a soil that wasn't too easy to yield its fruit. And so, in fact, in, in, when Jesus is telling this parable, the, the, the empire of Rome is in charge, and they actually enact some laws relative to this parable. All right, I'll tell you about those in just a second. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Now, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Then the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then do the weeds come from? And the owner speaks, he says, An enemy did this. The servants ask him, Do you want us to go and pull up the weeds? No, 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 don't do that, he says. Because while you're pulling up the weeds, you're going to uproot some of the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Uh, And by the way, burned, uh, that's the language. A lot of times plants were dried and used as fuel, so this would have been normal language for them. And then gather the wheat secondarily and bring them into my barn. I think we have one more. Maybe not, all right. And bring them into my barn. I'll tell you what happens after that, all right. Um, So here's the parable. Farmer has some servants. 
And uh, they look out into the field one day. The crop that had been planted is growing. And what they notice is that there are some weeds among the wheat. Now, now what's interesting, there's some little language stuff going on here. The, 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 the language in the original Greek is the language of tear, tear, T-A-R-E. Um, it, it's, it's weeds, but it's a particular kind of weed. Um, most biblical scholars think it specifically refers to a plant called a darnel, a darnel plant. Now, that doesn't mean much to me. Uh, I had to kind of look this up, but the, the interesting thing about the darnel plant is when it's very small, it looks an awful lot like wheat, a whole lot like wheat. Uh, the, the problem with darnel is, though, is that it's actually poisonous. And so uh, the Roman government understood just how important it was to have healthy agriculture and a fed population, especially to keep down grumbling, which they always had a problem here in this area of Palestine with grumbling and complaining, and they had to come in many times and fix that. So they enacted a law that was illegal to go into somebody else's field and sow any type of weed, especially darnel among the wheat. Now, the Roman had two, two, two reasons for doing that. One is they wanted to keep population well-fed and, and generally healthy and happy, most of all. But also, typically, a farmer would have to give up half of his crop as a tax to help feed the Roman army. And so there were actual laws around this. When Jesus is telling this parable, it's, it's in the minds of the people who are dealing with it. We understand what this would be like. It wouldn't be all that unusual. In fact, it had happened enough that we actually had to enact laws to prevent people from coming in and sowing in an enemy's field or in somebody they were frustrated at's field other work. Now let's just break down this parable for a few seconds. This parable is meant to be a picture of life. It's meant to be a picture of the work of God. This parable falls in Matthew chapter 3, which has other parables about seed and the work of God. Some of them, these parables, maybe you've heard about if you've been in church. It's the, the same chapter where we get the parable of the guy who's sowing seed, and some falls on hard soil and shallow soil and uh, soil where the sun beats down, and then some falls on good soil and produces a crop. Maybe you've heard of the sower and the seed parable. This one comes right after that. It's the same imagery, except in this time, we don't have different types of soil. We have different types of seed. We have good seed and bad seed. Good seed from the farmer and his servants. This would be the work of God, Jesus tells us, where God is the farmer, ultimately, and he is trying to get the message out, the seed out to people. It's good. But in the night, it's not unusual for someone to come along, an enemy to come along and sow other seed. And this creates confusion. This creates a challenge. It's a picture of life in the church. It's a picture of life in your family, by the way. It's a picture of life on a microscopic level, even just like in our own hearts, this mixture of good and bad growing together. And we're given a hint of how to respond to challenges from within in this parable. How do you respond to challenges that come not from somebody talking bad about your family, but from just within your own family dynamics because you're imperfect human beings and sometimes marriage doesn't always go the way you'd like it to go. And sometimes your kids don't always show up and grow up the way you'd like them to. And they don't always make choices that reflect the values you've invested in them. So there are a couple of approaches we can take. We can do the approach that the servants suggested to the farmer. Right. We see plants. They look very, very similar. They're in the early stages of development. Do you want us, owner of the land, to go around and carefully pluck out all of the weeds, leaving behind only the wheat? That, that makes sense, doesn't it? In fact, if you have a garden, you probably spend some time pulling weeds, don't you? 
Um, we'd been gone for a month when we came home to our house. Uh, the yard had been cut, but none, none of the other stuff had really been done. We didn't pay for that because we were a little cheap. But, so we came back, and so in, in a lot of our like, mulch beds and stuff, where well, you can't really tell where the grass ends and the, the weeds begin. It's, it's kind of interesting. Somebody needs to go through and pull it. So it makes sense to want to do that, but there's some wisdom in this I want to uh, kind of impart and then talk about what's going on in the life of our church over the next few weeks and how this relates to us. The, the, the owner of the land who, and he, here's, here's the heart of the owner and why he says what he says. He cares so much about the wheat. He cares so much about the potential of the wheat to feed, to nourish, to bring a sense of sustenance and keep people, loose term, keep them happy and well-fed and satisfied and not riotous. He cares so much about the wheat, the value of the wheat. He says, here's the deal. It makes logical sense on some level to want to go around and pull out all the bad stuff, but be careful when you do that because here's the problem. First of all, they look an awful lot alike in the early stages. And then when you go start pulling up wheat, invariably what's going to happen is you're going to pull up some wheat too. And and behind the scenes, the heart that's motivating this language is this, this deep, seeded value for the good seed and what it's going to do and how it's going to make a difference and how it's going to feed and how it's going to nourish. That the emphasis has to be on the good seed and not on the bad seed. And if we get so focused on the the bad seed that was sown and the little crops coming up, then the challenge is going to be we're going to end up ruining some of the wheat, the good seed along with it. So the farmer says, the owner of the land says to the servants, just, just let it grow enough. In fact, go ahead and let it, let it all come up together. It, 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 we, at this point, we can't fix it all. Um, and, if, and if you try, you're going to mess up the whole thing. And there's a certain amount of, of tension in this. Because in one sense, there's work being put off that is going to have to get done. And, and nobody wants that potentially poisonous plant mixed in with the good seed. And that Jesus' parable is, is that when you're in an environment where there's a challenge, you have to be very careful to not focus on the bad stuff so much that the good stuff doesn't get its attention, doesn't get a chance to flourish and grow. And this may not seem like it relates to life all that much. We're not in an agricultural society, but I've already let you in that really this is just a picture of life. It's a picture of life in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven where there are good seed sown by our Heavenly Father, and then there's an enemy. In this case, the enemy's unnamed, but the Bible names him in other places, the enemy of our soul, the devil, if you will. I I don't like to make a big deal about it. It sounds almost kind of cartoonish. But there is God's agenda, and then there's the other agenda. And on the other side of the agenda, away from God, there are seeds sown. In every good environment that God has ever tried to do anything, as long as we're on this side of heaven, there's going to be that other force at work. Let me make something perfectly clear. It's at work in your family. It is. It's at work in your marriage right now. It's at work in the world. It's at work in our church. There isn't a single church in America that's exempted from it. There isn't a single place, there isn't a single institution exempted from this dynamic of some good stuff and some bad stuff together in the same environment. There's no way to get away from that. This is just the reality of it. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, I can tell you, as as a pastor who sat down with many folks who are going through marriage challenges, sometimes the weeds are like so so focused upon that when people are trying to engage their marriage challenges, it's like that's all they can see. 
Maybe one part of the relationship is so eager to pull the weeds out of the other part of the relationship. And there's some real wisdom in this parable in an environment like that. To, to not get so focused on the, the negative side of things that we don't even see sometimes the good side. Or, or we, we risk the potential of the good in trying to deal with the bad. Just a little practical advice from Jesus in the middle of marriage stuff. Don't get so focused on the bad stuff in your marriage that you forget the good stuff around. Let, let me ask you honestly. Please don't raise your hand. Just like, you know, in your own head. How many of you, when you're going through challenges in life, it's easy for you to focus on the challenge so much that you forget all the blessings around you? See, see I'm, I got a little bit of that in me. I'm a weed puller, especially the weeds in your life. Yeah, I, I like pulling weeds out of your life. I do. It makes me feel good. I look back, I go, oh, look, look, look how nice and clean that is. I, I like that. It's easy for me to see the weeds in your life. So, so this parable is a, ca- a caution to all of us weed pullers. Sounds like a great and noble task, doesn't it? Pull the weeds. Weed's bad. And yet we're, we're cautioned that there's a way to pull weeds that actually damages the good stuff that God wants to do. Look, caution in your marriage. I'm a dad. You know where else I like to pull weeds? Out of my kids. Love to pull weeds out of my kids. You know why? Because I am wise, they're not. I have the great perspective of time and space and wisdom and God's favor and whatever else I want to pull on at the time. I don't know. But often I can look and it's a legitimate weed. And listen, the, the call here isn't, Jesus isn't saying you never tend He's saying that you have to be so careful in tending to the weeds and the stuff around you that you don't ruin the potential of the good seed. I see this in churches all the time. I, I talk to a lot of pastors. We have, we have our own church experience. And, and the truth of the matter is most churches are a mixture of really good stuff and some not so good stuff. And sometimes in the life cycle of churches, there's, there's a real desire to like want to pull out all the bad stuff and some, some of that's necessary, required, essential. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. It's absolutely essential. But there's a way of doing that that loses the emphasis of this parable where we focus so much on the bad stuff, we forget the good stuff going on. I promise you I'm going somewhere here. I don't have an immediate application for our context today except for one small piece. I, when I read this parable this week, what, what, what impressed me was a thought that I originally wasn't going to share with you. It's those servants of the field coming to the farmer with exasperation and frustration that the work they have done for so long in sowing the good seed, hoping for a good harvest, may not produce the full weight of the harvest that they wanted to produce because some enemy has sown bad seed among them. In this case, the devil, if you will. And, and, and the exasperation, the emotion of the work and investing in the work and then looking around saying, ah, where, where, where is that going to be now? There, there's other stuff here. How did that get here? Where did this come from? Didn't you sow good seed? Well, of course we sowed good seed. The problem wasn't the seed we sowed, the farmer says. The problem was somebody, some, something, somebody came in, an enemy came in and sowed other stuff. There's a real challenge in the labor for the Lord in the life of a church, of getting exasperated by the harvest and the challenge that comes with the harvest. Some of you have served faithfully in this church for 10 years. 
and you've invested yourself, and you've given financially, and more costly, you've given emotionally, and you've poured in, and you've poured in, and the truth of the matter is most of it is fantastic and awesome. But sometimes you've come face to face with the reality described in this parable, that it's not always awesome, and not every single part is ever awesome. It's usually a mixture of some pretty awesome and some not so awesome stuff, like most marriages, most parenting relationships, most job environments, most friendships, a lot of awesome, some not so awesome, what do you do? And it's, 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 in, it's in the wisdom of the farmer, the wisdom of the landowner who has commissioned the seed to be sown, who more than anybody understands the value of good seed, there's some wisdom in, in the advice given here. Be careful how you describe and pluck up and pull up the weeds. Because in doing so, <laughs> a lot of damage and challenge can be done. It's especially poignant in our environment here. See, we're a church with what, what church experts call a large front door. Here's what that means for us. We'll take anybody. Now, now the good news is, is that's exactly the way Jesus Here's the bad news with that. <laughs> we, we get some messed up folks sometimes. You're looking at one, all right? So there's the bad news. We have a large front door. We will take anybody. Our slogan is, come as you are. We, we shorten it to real love now, right? Last week we talked about real worship, real God, real people. We'll take anybody. And, and in fact, when other churches have rejected, we say, hey, come, come, come here. It's, it's, it's okay. When, when people have floundered in other places and maybe they were plucked out or whatever, we say, hey, look, you can come here. There are fresh starts and new beginnings. We'll take anybody. And so in our church environment, sitting around you right now, there are some people at various places in their spiritual development. Some are actively pressing in. They're growing. They're, they're, they're being molded and shaped by God's spirit. They're engaging God's word in helpful and honest ways. It's having an impact on their heart. God's doing soul surgery. They're being molded and shaped. Others are kind of not there yet. They're here in their environment. They like it. Maybe they don't like it all, but, you know, they, they at least didn't like the music. And, and so they're, they're around, but they're not fully on board. And it's really easy in an environment like ours. Here's my caution for us, because of, because of what I'm getting ready to explain to you. It's really easy in an environment like ours to look at people around us and say, well, those folks need to, to step up. They're not as spiritually mature. They don't get it. They're, they've got sin in their life. And all of those are valid and real conversations that should be had on some level, especially to the level that we have a relationship with those people. But the challenge of the farmer who owns the land is a challenge that's important for us today. And especially when you have a church like ours with such a big front door, with all different kinds of people coming in and out, to remember the value of the seed that the owner has and has implied throughout the entire uh, story here. That the, the work that we're doing here is so important and so essential. The message and mission of Jesus is so important. The seed and what it can do is so powerful and so precious. It has to be protected. And there's a tendency in churches to start looking around and trying to figure out who needs to be changed. There's a tendency in Christians. It's just been part of the deal since Jesus started the church to want to pull weeds in other people's lives. It's sometimes we're not even invited to do so. It's natural human tendency to see weeds in other people's lives and even neglect our own. 
And so for churches like us, it's especially important to, to remember that this tension that is described in this parable is normal. It's normal. It's not even all that much of a problem in the perspective of God who says, here's how we're going to deal with it. We're going to let time take care of it, and we're going to let ultimately in this parable, we're going to let the harvesters take care of it. Now, if you keep reading Matthew chapter 13, the Bible interprets its own parable. God is the owner. We're the servants sowing the seed. The enemy is the devil. But at the end of time, God's going to sort it all out. The impetus, the point of the whole parable is, is keep sowing the seed. Keep sowing the seed. Don't get so worried about the weeds. Don't worry about what's going to happen. The job for the servants being compelled by the master who understands the power of the seed, the job for the servant is to keep sowing the seed. This is the message to parents. Of course your kids are a mixture of good and bad. You know what you're to do? Keep sowing the seed. Of course your marriage is a mixture of good and bad. You know what you're supposed to do? Keep sowing the seed. And anytime we get consumed with weed pulling, we've lost the impact, the importance, the driving motivation behind what's motivating the sowing of the seed to begin with, that the seed is precious, it's going to produce life, it's worthwhile. Of course there are challenges. Of course. But your marriage is worth it. Your kids are worth it. And the enemy would like nothing more than for you to get focused on pulling weeds. Entire Christian movements got so focused on pulling weeds that they lost all of their evangelistic motivation to sow the seed to begin with. And there's only so much time. There's only so many resources. There's only so many laborers. So where do you put the emphasis? It's clear. You sow the seed. This whole chapter, Matthew 13, is on the power of the seed that is sown. And the focus is on the seed and the potential in the seed. And the seed is the word of God. It's the message of Jesus. It's the hope for the world. It's the thing that was entrusted to us as a small C representation of the capital C church. And when you've been in it for a while, you're a little tired. You've seen things come and go. It's real easy. To start looking around. And some of that's necessary, of course. The thing about parables are kind of one-sided. It's not about never pulling a weed. Of course, you've got to do some of that. It's about don't get preoccupied with weed pulling when what God has called you to do in every sphere of life, every sphere of life, is to sow seed as your primary objective. So in this church, there's some, been some pretty powerful seed that was sown. There's some pretty powerful seed. Here's, here's, here's a brief story. At a gradual progression, this person writes, I started getting involved in reach-out missions here at Four Corners. I got started volunteering little by little. I felt like I was finally on a journey where I was beginning to put God first. But I had several ups and downs in the process, she writes. And I began to learn how to pray a lot I remember growing up and watching my grandma and grandpa who had a deep spiritual connection, but I didn't get it. But I started connecting and leaning in. And in my journey, I was ignoring sometimes signs from God, and it slowed me down. But then I had friends, she writes, who would come alongside me. And they tried to get me to that relationship with God. People were investing in her life. Ups and downs, challenges, difficulties, 
some ignorance, but learning and pressing in. But somebody kept sowing seed. Here's what she writes. I think I had to have my heart softened. This is the, the language of the sower and the seed and the whole horticultural and agricultural stories that are being told. The softened heart where seed can be receptive. How did that happen? Because people kept investing in her ups and downs as a part of this congregation. Her ups and downs didn't, nobody tried to pluck her out. They just let it grow. I had a foundation in the church I grew up in, but it really wasn't as real, and I didn't feel as connected, she writes. We were taught the Bible, but it didn't seem as real. But here, I was able to understand it was broken down for me in practical ways. And then she writes, I believe that God's working through me. I want my whole life to help others. I love connecting with people and having God work through me. That's the power of seed. That's the power when God's work it, or God's word is at work in people's lives. Here's another just very quick story. A friend of ours, they named the family. Um, they invited us to this church. We decided to give it a shot back in February. But after much wrangling with feeling like we were betraying our upbringing, we decided to go ahead and give it a chance. So we came one Sunday and we fell in love with it. The messages seemed meaningful. They were timely. With where we were on our journeys, both as individuals and as a family, and over time, I started to realize that this was the path that God wanted us to find and explore. So in the last few months, we've started volunteering. He, he actually says that my wife started. I'm not really there yet, he says. And we've both been participating in small groups. I've started some Bible study to begin reading my Bible in a way that I'd never done before. And I'm trying to challenge myself in my faith to find new ways to grow and to increase in my abilities as a good father and as a husband. That's the power of seed. Let, let, let me make something clear for you. In your parenting, in your marriage, in the life of this church, there will always be a pull to become weed pullers. And some is necessary. There will always be some necessary weeding that you'll have to do. But the far and away emphasis of our lives, this parable represents it, it's true in the entire teaching of Jesus, is that we're called to be sowers of seed. Because the seed is powerful. And when the seed lands on good soil, receptive soil, and we won't know who's fully receptive. We just have to sow the seed. When it lands on receptive soil, powerful life change happens. People's eternities are literally shifted. The trajectory of their lives change. The seed is powerful. The work of the sower is important. That's why the enemy of our soul would rather get you focused on weed pulling. This parable is a call for us to remember that God will sort out all that stuff at the end. Our call is to constantly sow seed. So we're coming up on our 10th anniversary where we, we call it a big day, if you will, where we literally go outside these walls and try to compel as many people as possible to come in. We want to get some seed in their life. We want them to come to a place that they're going to encounter a mixture of people and various places in their spiritual development. Some 100% sold out to Christ, some not even certain that Jesus is who he claimed to be the one and only Son of God. We're going to invite them to come be a part of this, and they're going to see some wheat and some tares, some wheat and darnel growing together. And we're going to constantly deposit seed in their life. 
kindness, God's explicit words, God's words lived out in our actions, Bible study, messages, worship, community, small groups, and invest and invest and invest. Keep heaping on the seed. Keep pouring on the seed, doing what God calls his servants to do. And God will sprout many of those investments into full-fledged plants. He will. We've seen it for the last 10 years. One of the reasons why I'm so eager for you to help us invite people in for this big day, people who have never been to a church, there's a handful of those, people who haven't been to church really as an adult, haven't been to church since they started having kids, that's a primary place. If you have friends who have young kids and they're not involved in a church, this is the church to invite them to. We do a great job with kids. People who have been disappointed in other churches, people who used to attend this church, but for one reason or another, then you're still in relationship with them. One of the reasons I'm so eager for you to help us do that is because I know the power of the seed. I know the power of that seed. You know how I know it? I've seen it. But can I be totally honest with you? I've lived the power of the seed. I know what it is to have God's Spirit actively involved in my life saying, Ben, here's the direction I want you to go. Ben, here's what I want you to know. Ben, against everything else you see, here's where I'm directing your life and the power of God doing his work in my own life. And I want that for every single person I meet. I hope it can happen in these walls, but I know it won't always, but I know that my job is to sow the seed. So this is a blatant call that over the next couple weeks, help us sow the seed. Here's one of the ways you can do that. Next week, we're going to have some t-shirts that talk about our food truck rally. That's what we're doing on our big day. Big secret out now. Do a big food truck rally after church, both services, right out here in the back lot. So, so, so the, the pitch goes like this. Hey, come to church with me. We have a lot of really cool food trucks, some incredible food. Why don't you come to church with me? We'll have lunch together, and there's a variety of things to choose from, all right? Like there's a pizza truck, there's a barbecue truck, there's a crepes uh, uh, truck and, and, and ice cream truck and, and all this other stuff. And so why don't you come and, like, like eat some food? And then we're going to give you a chance to get a free T-shirt, but here's the way you get it free. You have to buy two. <laughs> So what happens is you buy one, you get one free. <laughs> the free one is yours, <laughs> two for ten. The free one's yours, and then you take that $10 investment, and you give it to a friend and say, look, here's a really cool T-shirt, just about, really not about our church, it's about the food truck thing. Kind of cool, modern, hip stuff, and, you know, nice printing, the whole bit. And so you use that as a tangible investment. There'll be some stuff on your seats next week as well. To just say, hey, look, come, hold the date. Here's how I'm doing it. I got a handful of folks in our neighborhood that we haven't been able to get in. I'm telling them we have some awesome food trucks, and I'm going to say to three of them, I'm going to buy your lunch if you come after second service. That's fine. I will buy your lunch. And so for like a $10 investment, now some of you can't do that, but you can rally people. You can call up a friend who hasn't been around for a few weeks and say, look, why don't you come and have lunch at church? It's our 10th anniversary. You know what I'm going to do on our big day. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about his love and how people are loved and accepted here in this place. And if they were bruised and battered anywhere else, they can come right here and have a fresh start. That's the entire message. All right? That's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to do the food truck rally to nourish them and give, them, give us something to talk about as a way of inviting them. But really, we're not trying to fill their stomachs, are we? No. We want to fill their soul with that seed. And we know the challenges in life. We've lived them, all of us. We all have our own story. But many of us, if you'll stop and reflect, there is great power in the seed that was sowed in your life. And I want that power 
that was worked in your life as you responded to the seed that others were sowing. I want that to propel you and compel you to invest in others to do the same. And on the big day, we're going to give people a chance to sign up to be a part of small groups that deal with this book. It's called Unshakable. I talked about it briefly, but let me, let me tell you what this book is about. Literally, it's about standing strong when things in life go wrong. And I, I wrote the foreword to this book, and so that's kind of cool. Our church logo is on the back and all that good stuff. And um, we're going to give people a chance to, to get this book and, and either sign it for a small group or read it on their own. But it deals with a lot of the challenges people in life face, pe- things that we face. For instance, like, like what do you do when you, when you have a personal failure or family problems or career challenges or illness or you have faith doubt or financial stress? And this book, let me tell you, all it does is it ta- takes the teachings of God's Word and puts it in understandable language and directs people to the seed of life, which is Jesus, in the middle of their challenges. And for those of us that are already there, it's going to equip us to understand the power of God's word around these challenges. So as a church, we're all going to rally. I'm going to encourage all of us on our big day to begin getting in small groups, focusing around this book. There's a nice study guide. And we don't have so much have small group leaders this time around. We have small group conversation facilitators who just ask a few questions and people get together. And together we're going to un- uncover the powerful seed of God's word around some of these real life challenges. And we're going to go into our 10th year remembering what motivated us to begin with, which is the power of God's word at work in the life of people. It changes things. Little by little, never clean and pretty, there's always weeds to pull our attention. Always. And yet the power of the seed, the value in that seed, the potential of the seed is so great that whether you've been here 10 years or 10 minutes, I want you to rally with us to do this. I want you to prayerfully consider over the next couple of weeks who you can invite. Start with the people you don't see that you know used to be here, your friends. Start with people who you know have had children and yet they haven't yet begun getting them in church. Start with people who you know have some challenges and you just love them and you don't know how to fix their issues. That's not what we're here for. But you believe there's a God who loves them enough that would love to come alongside them in the middle of their challenges. Start with people who are unconnected. Don't have a group of people around them encouraging them in the right direction. And let's heap a bunch of seed on these people. Knowing that the enemy's going to come in and try to do his work, but the power of the seed and the value in the seed and the, the, the guy behind it all who sent the word to begin with anyway is so loving and the seed is so powerful that it's worth all of our investment. When the owner of the land says to the servants, listen, don't, don't, let me paraphrase. He says, don't get so uptight about the weeds. Because at the end of the day, God's going to sort that out. You feel good about your investment. You feel good about being on the right side of this. You did so good, seed. You did. And at the end of time, God will divide it out. And your wheat, the seed you sow, it will fulfill its purpose. In writing to the church at, at Philippi, Paul writes these words in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I'm confident, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident that God will make your work effective. He'll do it in you and through you. The work that God has begun will be completed. So don't give up sowing seed because we see some weeds. Don't. Don't let people get distracted. Maybe you need to be the reminder for a handful of people. Of course, there's real challenges. But God is powerful in your life. So, 
Next week, we're going to continue to talk about the rock that Jesus is establishing. And as we do life together, and it's messy, here's my call. Remember, there's great power in the seed. And for those of you that have been sowing for years, thank you. It is making a difference. It really is. For those of you that are a little tired about it, let me just encourage you. Look at the value of the seed and look at its potential to literally change lives. And let's fill this place up in a couple weeks on our 10th anniversary and sow a bunch of seed in people's lives and see what God's going to do. Why don't you grab out your Connect card and let's take a couple steps together as a congregation. Every week we give people a chance to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So next step A for us right now is today I'm making Jesus my Savior and my Lord. If you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, it begins this way. You acknowledge what God has already said about you, that you're not perfect. The Bible way of saying that is that you're a sinner. And you ask God to cover and wash and remove your sin and to become the leader or the Lord of your life. In a moment, I'm going to pray about that, give you a chance to use my words or your own to look up to God and say, God, wash me clean, forgive me, become the Lord of my life. If you want to do that, check the box, put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by and we'll communicate with you this week. Or how about next step B? You want to get baptized? We have several baptisms coming up, several people getting baptized at our next baptism. It's going to be awesome. If you want to be baptized, have questions about it, check the box, we'll communicate with you. Or how about next step C? Who in the room would say, I'm willing to make an investment of seed by facilitating some discussions around the book Unshakable? We'll get information from you, where you want to meet, when you want to meet, how often you want to meet. We'll give you the tools to do it. And all you got to do is ask the question. Hey, right here it says question number one. What do you guys think about that? Question number two. You don't have to be the answer giver. You're just going to lead the conversation forward. If you want to do that and help us out by planting some seed this way, check it. We'll be in touch with you, answer your questions. Or how about next step D? I'm going to help get the word out about our food truck Sunday. So please let me know about some hanging parties. Let me, let me tell you what's going on here. We have door hangers. You check this box, you're just committing to help. But the other thing we're going to do is send you some information about some door hanging parties where we're going to go around and not talk to people, but just put hangers on some doorknobs and on some mailboxes. Not in them, that's a federal offense, on them. All right? And so that's all we're going to do. If you want to help us do that, there'll be several dates you can come out. Literally, you're getting a car with a handful of people, and we're done. All right? Or how about next step E? This week, I'm going to memorize Philippians 1 6 this week. Being confident of this. But he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're wondering if the seed in you is lasting, if you're kind of covered over by some weeds right now, let me just give you this promise. God said he would complete his work in you. Do not give up. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the simplicity of your word that speaks to everyday life. God, I want to thank you that in the middle of the weeds, your seed is powerful produces life, hope, change. God, I pray for each person right now who is declaring Jesus, be the Lord of my life, forgive my sin, wash them away, lead every part of me. Lord, I lift up our church over the next few weeks as we focus again clearly upon the power of your mission and your message in this world. God, help us not to be so consumed by the weeds around us, around us that we forget just how powerful and beautiful what you're doing in this world is and let us leave the weed pulling up to you largely and help us to focus on sowing the seed i pray all this in the powerful and holy name of jesus the strong son of god amen and amen